The weather is finally getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost like the middleman that passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. I am so excited. I have two gorgeous, lightweight cashmere sweaters coming my way. One camel, one heather gray. I cannot wait to wear them in the warmer months when it's chilly in LA. Throwing them over my shoulders. Going to look so cute. Can't wait. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash judging Megan for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash judging Megan and now back to the podcast save big money on plant protection supplies now at Menards defend your garden with triazicide insect killer it's fast acting formula protects lawns vegetables and many other plants it kills more than 260 insects by contact above and below ground choose from ready to spray concentrate or granular save big money on triazicide insect killer at Menards and check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. Well, hello, everyone. You are listening to Judging Megan with your host, Megan Judge. Um, I'm going to start out by telling you that I was on vacation with my family this past week, um, and I had the sad part is, is that I hurt myself and, and you know, you're getting old when you don't even know how you hurt yourself. Like I literally have no clue how I, I hurt a tendon. So my, our friends were with us. Um, my husband's best friend is a cardiologist and his wife is an internist. And so I kind of like had them look at me and they're like, Oh, that's not like your kneecap. It's on the side. That's a, that's like, could be tendonitis. How did I get tendonitis? I don't know what in God's name I did. So now I can barely walk and it is so uncomfortable. And then it also is a reminder to you how we take things for granted. So I, you know, I like to go on my long walks and work out and I can't, I can't do anything. I can sit on the sofa, watch a bunch of TV. By the way, if you haven't watched The Staircase, please watch it. It's so good. What else am I watching right now? I'll try to think of it and maybe mention it at the end. So I'm watching a lot of TV, obviously, Real Housewives, like anything Bravo, which I've talked to my listeners before, love. Um, So yeah, so I wanted to start out by saying that you can go to my Instagram, Judging Megan, M-E-G-H-A-N, to see a really cute video for Father's Day that I posted of my husband and my daughter water skiing. And it honestly is a, was a quick reminder and should always be a reminder to, to love the moments in life, like these moments that are going to pass and just appreciate life. And I found myself and I have found myself really doing that recently. So uh, one last thing, um, I am now posting my my episodes so you can see how beautiful I look right now. And my guest does look beautiful, but I have no makeup on and my goggles, aka my glasses on. Um, and I would love for you to give me some feedback. I'm considering posting additional content on Patreon. It's a paid service. Um, I am an independent podcaster right now. And I always appreciate any feedback. 
I always appreciate your reviews. So if you are so inclined, please leave me a review on Apple or Spotify or judgingmegan.com, wherever you are listening. I really appreciate it. And I am going to start this episode. Hi, everyone. I am grateful today to be talking to Amanda Acker. Um, I found Amanda. She was following me on Instagram, I think. Am I right on that? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. And so I look, I, she commented on something and I looked at her profile and I was like, wow, I have never done an episode about what we're about to talk about. And I love somebody that is posting or using their platforms to help others. Amanda is also a podcaster. Her podcast is called the good things show. Is that correct? Am I saying it right? It's Almost. It's the let good things in show. <laughs> Sorry. That's my bad writing. So say it again for my listeners. It's the let good things in show. The let things, let good thing. I can't speak. The let good <laughs> things in show. Okay. So yes. I love that. I love your positivity. I've looked at your profile. I'm following you. Um, you can follow Amanda at, say it. <laughs> <laughs> The like good things in show. Okay. I didn't want to butcher it again. Um, okay. But I am I am so grateful to have you on. Um, so we're going to kind of get into your story, but I wanted to find out, can you tell me a little bit, I know we talked prior about where you're from, like how life was growing up. Let's start there. Yeah. So first of all, thank you so much, Megan, for reaching out to me and having you on, me on your show. I'm excited. Uh I grew up in a small town south of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um, and I currently live close to where I grew up, but not there. But growing up was normal. I mean, my parents were married. I um, you know, did very well in school. I was not popular by any means. I spent my, I tell my kids now, like, I used to literally read my math textbooks from cover to cover because I thought that was fun. Uh, so I played Barbies until I was 12. I listened to oldies mu music and I don't know. I just felt like, you know, even though I was alone a lot, I had a pretty decent childhood, uh, up until the age of 15. So that's that in a nutshell. <laughs> well, tell me about what happened when you turned eight, you turned 15. So I turned 15 and my, my, I have an older sister as well. Uh, and she's four years older than me and she had moved out and my parents divorced. And like I said, growing up, I was pretty, um, sheltered, uh, for lack of a better word. And my mother and I were extremely close. Like my mother was everything to me, my best friend. I told her everything that happened in my life. And my dad was kind of, he was there, but not emotionally there. So when I came home from freshman year of high school, uh, I found that my mother had left and my parents were getting divorced and it shattered my world. It really affected me emotionally mm -hmm. in a way that I didn't, I didn't understand why I felt the way I did. I was angry, sad, like all these different emotions. And you know, my dad being who he is and was, I don't think he really knew how to handle it at that point. You know, now he's thrown into having to raise, raise a teenage girl, you know, that he didn't really have a, we didn't have a relationship beyond him being my dad. And it, it changed things for me. I started to I started to, you know, get involved with boys more. You know, my mom wouldn't let me go over boys' houses and my dad trying to be a cool dad looking back. I think that's what he was doing. Would let yeah. me go hang out with my boyfriend. And, you know, things just started to escalate up until I hit around 17, 18 years old and I started partying. And that's when the dark story really uh, it turns a page from there. Okay. Well, let me just say how sorry I am that you experienced that. I don't think that I've ever really addressed on this, on this podcast, um, what divorce I have talked to people that have gotten divorced and women that have been in abusive relationships and divorce, but I have never really had a guest on to talk about the trauma that is a, that is divorce within 
a family and what it really does to children. And it's, it's extremely traumatic. Um, and I think that people don't really address that a lot of times. They just are like, oh, my parents are, are divorced. Do you agree with me on that? Yes, definitely. You know, and for a long time, I it made me feel, because back then, this is like the late 90s. So, you know, I, I felt very uncomfortable, like going to school. And I didn't know if people knew what people were going to think of me or my parents mm -hmm. were divorced. Like, what did that even look like beyond my own in, internal turmoil that, you know, it put me through? Uh, and just looking for like, now I didn't know where I fit in at all. You know, at least when my mom was around, I had her, but now I'm going to school and I don't, I don't know where I belong anymore. And, you know, for my dad too, like, I feel like it affected him, you know, he didn't know what to do with me. So we were both like trying to figure it out. My mom, you know, she left and went off the deep end. She ended up in a very abusive relationship and started drinking all the time. So it, it really affected all of us, you know, my sister, um, I, even though she was out of the house, I don't really know how it affected her, but I'm sure it did in some way knowing that well you know, i mean it sounds to me together. too like you have you had severe <laughs> abandonment issues i mean who wouldn't if if you like mothers and daughters have this like a lot of times don't get along fight or whatever it is but we have a special bond like you know i have two daughters i cannot even fathom i mean don't get me wrong my 12 year old is driving me bananas lately but <laughs> i cannot even imagine I can't imagine they're my world, like leaving my, my children behind. And I am so sorry to hear that. Um, but it does make sense why we, why we turn or like we rebel or we we're calling out for, for something that we're missing and children need their parents. I will tell you, Amanda, that I lost my dad when mm -hmm. I was about, when I was 13 and I completely changed after that. And in high school, I would found myself very like, you know, like boy crazy. I was always doing like the, I was always the girl that was like getting into trouble and doing like bad things. And so um, I think that that's important to point out. So what ended up to take, to go back, what, what happened when you were 17, 18? I think you said that's when it really, you, you hit your dark wall. Yes. So around that point, you know, I still was, even though I had all this emotional turmoil, I was still walking that like perfect student straight line. Like I'm never going to smoke weed. I'm you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, around 17, I made a friend with this girl who I thought was the coolest girl in school. I wanted to be just like her. And we went to this nightclub and uh, this under 21 club, which was all the rage back then. I don't even mm -hmm. think they still have those. But mm -hmm. um, so we go to this dance club and I ended up dancing with this guy. And for some reason, that's like what made our friendship start. Like she saw me, you know, outside of school, dressed kind of slutty and dancing with this random guy at this club. Mm -hmm. And so me and her started hanging out. And my dad at the time, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, but they were still going through the divorce from my memory might be a little jumbled, but yeah. uh, my mom had told me that uh, my dad had a bench warrant out uh, because he didn't show up for a divorce hearing and to not tell him she wanted him to get arrested. That was her MO for whatever reason. Yeah. And I didn't tell him because I didn't know what to do. And so he, that was our breaking point. You know, he was trying his best. And when he found out I knew and didn't tell him, he got upset with me. He was like, you didn't tell me we're a team. And meanwhile, I'm developing this friendship with this girl. And so I started drinking. I remember the first time I tried alcohol. I remember it like it was yesterday. And I felt, oh, I'm fine. This is the cool crowd. Like, this is where I want to be. I fit in. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm going to drink. And so I graduate high school by the skin of my teeth. So mind you, yeah. I was a straight A student, but by senior year, I was no longer that person. I was drinking yeah. in the mornings, I was smoking cigarettes, all these things. And I go to college and there I start to self-harm. So I'm okay. cutting myself. I'm partying all the time. I mean, I didn't go to class. I fell out of college. Yeah. And 
you know, it, it was, it was, there's so much there that I don't think we have enough time to go into yeah. all of it, but yeah, you know, that's when the addiction problem started. That's when the, you know, depression set in the anxiety, um, mm. and the promiscuous promiscuity, is that a word? Um, that all started in college and, you know, I was just acting out, you know, and looking mm -hmm. back, I think it was just because I wanted my dad's attention. I wanted him to love me again. I wanted him to, you know, when I overdosed in college, like I remember coming home and he just didn't care. It was like, I, he, all he cared about was the fact that he was going to have medical bills. So it was just this constant need. It was a constant calling out, like, what do I need to do next? Like, yes, all you wanted is to be loved, was to be loved and you were not getting it no matter where you turned. And I am so sorry. That's like, I want to give you a hug. That's awful. Um, it was hard. T tell me what age you were when you overdosed and how. I was a probably 19, maybe 20. Uh, my roommate in college, she um, was prescribed Clonopin. Mm -hmm. And she told me that she would snort it. And she was like, do you want to do it with me? And I was like, what is, you know, like I asked her, like, what is it going to do? And she said that it would make me not feel anymore. So, of course, I was like, mm -hmm. well, yeah, I'm going to do that. So we were doing Clonopin. And then, I mean, this is, I've never done pills before this time. And then we introduced opiates into the mix. And I remember just, I mean, I, I think I was tripping. I don't know. I just, I was totally not myself. And I go to sleep. And when I wake up, I was there um, in some random guy's dorm. And I said, he asked me if I wanted to smoke a joint. And I said, yeah, of course. So we go outside and smoke and me being, I was tiny back then. So I probably still had all these drugs in my system and not knowing that when I hit the joint, the whole world turned into a rainbow. And all I remember is looking at this guy and saying, oh my gosh, do you see it? And then I just black out. Like I remember I, I saw my life flash before my eyes. If it wasn't for him being there, I probably wouldn't be sitting here today. I would have died. Um, and I got rushed in an ambulance, all this stuff. And so that's, was my first pill experience was the overdose. Oh my gosh. That's a lot. That's a lot. So I'm sorry. I know this must be difficult to talk about. Um, so what ended up happening where you found yourself in, you were eventually incarcerated. So I would love to talk about that and hear the story of how that happened. Yes. So, you know, the overdose, unfortunately, did not stop me from trying to numb my pain. Mm -hmm. uh, I kept doing the same things and I became highly addicted to benzodiazepines. And so a few years go by and my friend, I'm still friends with that girl I mentioned earlier in my story. Um, I was living on my own with my, had my son, he was a baby and she said, Oh, Amanda, like I found this apartment. Um, let's move in together. And I thought, of course, let's move in together. Uh, and she introduced me to cocaine. Uh, we were out partying as always. And some random guy at a bar invited us to his trailer and there was Coke there. And she's like, Oh, just try it. You know, I was mm -hmm. like, okay. So we became very, very quickly addicted to cocaine. Um, we were doing it all the time. It became my life. That's all I cared about. That's all I wanted. And then my sister, she was uh, stripping at the time and she came home. She wasn't living here in PA. Um, she came home to visit and she was dancing at this club in the city. So my friend and I decided it would be great to to go and, you know, see her dance and support her um, and hopefully find drugs while we're there. And so we get there and I'm sitting at the bar and my friend was over like on the other side dancing with some guys that we met and this very much older man uh, was sitting there and we strike up a conversation and he's telling me, oh, you know, I have a job for you. I have this like million dollar business. You can be my assistant. And it was like promising me the world. Right. So yeah. at the time I'm, I was like 22, maybe 23. And I was like, oh my gosh, like all my prayers have been answered. And so I get his number 
And to make the story a little shorter, we'll fast forward a little bit. Um, there were a couple instances where I met up with him and found out that he was paying me to be his date. Uh, no, there was no business. There was no assistant job. Uh, and so I, but I really needed the money. So I went up and met with him again. And he sexually assaulted me, threatened my life. And gave me way less money than what he promised because I didn't do exactly what he wanted me to do, I guess. I don't know. Um, looking back, he was grooming me um, to be trafficked. I didn't realize that in the moment. That was a more recent realization. And um, so it was my friend's birthday and she looked at me and we were broke. We were going to lose our apartment. We were gonna, I mean, we were so down in the dumps. And she said, well, let's just go rob him, the guy that, you know, assaulted me. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, we're not going to do this. Like, you know, we're we're not these types of people because I've never done anything like that before. But I said, okay, let's do it. Uh, you know, he had told me before that he doesn't involve cops. You know, don't call 911. Like, he was one of those types of people. So we ended up involving three of our guy friends, and we were going to rob this guy. And the whole time I'm driving my car and I'm sweating bullets instantly. I didn't want to do it. I'm like, oh my gosh. I looked at her in the passenger seat and I said, I don't think I can do this. I said, we're going to go to jail tonight. And she just looked at me and she was like, oh, come on. Like, I'll just drive. Um, Yeah. So I kind of knew what was going to happen before it happened. And I still yeah. kept ignoring my, my own inner thoughts. And let her drive the rest of the way, like literally got out of the car and let her drive. Didn't like flee the scene. I I got back in the car because I was so worried that if I didn't, I was going to lose her. Not anything about me and what I wanted. It was the fact that I was going to lose her as my friend. And so the robbery happened. I remember sitting in the guy's apartment and he even looked at me and he said, Amanda, what is wrong with you? Something's not right. And I was like, nothing. And at the time, this is early 2000s, so we all didn't have our own phones. So the guys had mine and she had hers. And I snatched her phone out of her hand. And I said, I have to go call and check on my son. And I ran down to where the guys were and I told them to go ahead and do it. I was gone. I'm out. And I ran to my car, laid across the back seat. I mean, it was summertime. It was really hot. And I'm just crying and sweating. And it was horrifying. And we didn't get out of that parking lot. Of that apartment building, the cops had us pulled over. I was arrested at gunpoint. I was put face down on the pavement and handcuffed. And that was one of the most traumatic, horrifying experiences I've ever had in my life. Well, let me ask you a few questions. So you had a son. Was the father in the Mm -hmm. picture or were you like a single mother? I was a single mom. Okay. And it just sounds like you were having issues with like drugs and alcohol. Were you high at the time that this took place or on any substances? Not that I can remember. Okay. I don't believe we were high when we did okay. the, the robbery. So you you knew what you were doing was wrong. But I think we've all been in that situation where there's peer pressure you know, if you want to be, fr- I mean, I know I have where, you know, if I was like in high school or whatever it is where I, you know, I wanted to be friends with the older girls and they were, <laughs> you know, they would be like, well, if you don't do this. So I, I think everybody's guilty of that. And then add in the abandonment issues and the childhood trauma and just like the need for filling a void. So I want to say that first of all, how did the how did the police situation so they you were sitting in the car by yourself and no, they all, we were all in the car okay so they you had gone downstairs though to the car you said they were all still upstairs doing the robbery or did yes. you go back up okay yes no i didn't i never went back in uh, they came running out once they did what they did uh, and i was And then once everyone was back in the car, I was driving out of the apartment complex, like down this big hill and the police were behind me like instantly. Did they, did, did they end up hurting the guy or they just robbed him? They see, that's where I don't really know. Um, they told me that, you know, they knocked him over something and took his wallet, but there was like no money in his wallet. So it was, Mm -hmm. it was pointless. And all in all, I mean, it was just the dumbest 
the dumbest decision I have ever, all of us made in that moment to do this. Um, but when I read the police report more recently, um, because I'm trying to get a pardon, um, so I have to get all these documents together. And the police report stated that I guess they, like the victim said that he was held at, with a knife to his throat, but I knew mm -hmm. nothing about that. So, you know, the more I find out, what I, and I don't know what's true or not because I wasn't in the room, so I don't, I don't know. Well, it seems to me too, if you weren't in the room, granted you were a part of it, you know, you had the intention, but then you also had the intention to leave and not go through with it. Um, did so. This happened twenty years ago, more than twenty years ago. It, yeah, it was like thirteen. Ago. I mean, I got, okay. well, I got out of jail 13 years ago, so maybe it was a little longer than that. Like I, another point of this is that the cops were trying to get the truth out of us and yeah. I didn't know any better. I'm not, I'm not a criminal. I don't, I just got in a bad situation and yeah. I never been in trouble before. So I trusted the cops and they told me that if I told the truth, I wouldn't go to jail. So, I so did. did you not have a lawyer? Did you not have a lawyer? Okay. No. Yeah. I mean, this is like a very, like I'm acting like I'm on law and order and I know what I'm talking <laughs> about. I don't. But from what I understand, that's a very common um, situation that people find themselves in. And then if they don't have the finances to have good representation, you know, you're, you kind of find yourself in situations where your hands are tied. Am, am I right on that? Um, yes, you are. But in my situation, like I didn't know, like I, I literally did not know that I could say I, I want a lawyer. Like I don't, I just told the truth. Like I, this is during the arrest. I just told them everything besides for him assaulting me. Like I just told them exactly why, what we were doing, what we planned, you know, why we were doing it. I made a written statement because they told me I would get out. Like I wasn't going to go to jail. And the whole time I was thinking, I just wanted to get back to my son. And okay, so then what ended up happening? Did your son get taken away? Like, what was the... Well, he was, well, he was with his dad. Um, okay. So when this was going down. Um, and then when I got arrested, and then whenever we got... it's you, So when you get arrested, you go into what's called holding. So that they take you to jail and you go underneath the jail where the holding cells are, which takes a century to get to a judge. And I'm thinking this whole time that I'm getting out, you know, they're going to, it's called ROR. And yeah. I'm thinking that's going to, going to happen. And my friend, she gets $10,000 straight bond. And my written statement is in, like everyone has it now. So everyone knows I essentially narked and I get in there thinking, oh, well, it's okay because I'm getting out. Well, I had the same bond, same charges. Like, I, they lied to me. I, there was no Amanda's getting out of jail for free here. Like, I, I was lied to to get, you know, the story. Um, and so I watched each and every one of them get bailed out while I sat there. And I was in main population in the county jail for a week before my mom and my ex were able to get the money together to get me out. Mm -hmm. And then you have to wait almost a whole year to get sentenced. So there was this whole year of my life where I didn't know what was going to happen to me, if I was going to be a convicted felon, if I was, I, I didn't know. Um, so that was like, I always call that like the darkest year of my life. Like I was stripping, I was using heavily, I was drinking like every day. I was just losing my mind. I didn't know what was going to happen to me. I didn't know how to live not knowing what was going to happen. Um, and then once we get to sentencing, I'm pregnant and I get sentenced. I, wa I watched my best friend, even though me and her obviously weren't <laughs> speaking uh, during this time because of me doing what I did. She was very upset with me. And I, and I understand that. Um, but um, I watched them all get carted off five years state prison. Uh, they were all convicted of robbery. I was fortunate enough because of my cooperation. I, at this point, I did get a lesser sentence. I didn't get the robbery charge. I only got the criminal conspiracy to commit the robbery charge, which is still what a was felony. Your, what was your sentence? I had one year to two years in county jail with option for work release. 
So that meant that um, I once I got to jail, um, I would be able to go to a different part of the jail where I could have a job or go to doctor's appointments and things like that, which was great because I was pregnant and I didn't want to have to have my baby shackled to a bed. Uh, so, but then when it came time, as I got, I got to leave. I was the only one that got to walk away because I had my son. So yeah. they gave me, I think it was like three or four days to like get my affairs in order. And then I had to go turn myself in and turning myself in prior to turning myself in. I, I wanted to kill myself. I didn't think I could survive it, um, but I couldn't kill my baby. So I obviously I'm still here. So I made the choice to, I had to do what I had to do. I did what I did. I take ownership for it. I shouldn't have done it. You know, I know it was wrong, even though he, that guy hurt me, he didn't deserve to be robbed and have a, apparently a knife stuck to his throat that I knew nothing about. Like I, but I shouldn't have been there. I should have stood up and said, we can't do this. Like I, I, I could have done that, but I didn't, um, because of my own problems that I was having back then. Um, so yeah, so then I was turning myself in and, but in order to get the work release, I had to pass a drug test. Granted. I hadn't been using because when I'm pregnant, I don't, I don't touch any. Mm -hmm. Um, but I couldn't pee a pregnant woman that can't pee. So <laughs> here I am, you know, trying to get this work release and I can't pee. So I have to go to main population for 30 days at least to make sure I have no drugs in the system because I couldn't. Okay. Can you explain test. what main population is? What does that mean? Oh, uh, main population. I'm sorry. I always say that thinking people know what I'm talking about, but that's just like actual jail. Like I was going to county. I wasn't going to, because where I'm at, like Allegheny County Jail, like there's your jail and then there's um, what's called renewal center and it's next to the jail. You're still incarcerated, but it's a, it's a program. So like, that's where I would get to leave and go to doctor's appointments, and you know, do all those things. So main population just means I was going to actual going to okay so really what's safe. the difference between the just so myself and my audience understands so jail is one thing but then prison is another thing right so you were always in jail and the other Correct. people that committed the crime were put into prison yeah so uh okay. jail is county level and then prison is state or federal um so they went to state prison i went to county jail um, which is vastly different. Um, but I, I've fortunately, I never been to prison, so I don't know what that experience is like, but I can say in County, like I've heard from people who have been to state prison or federal prison, that County time is harder than prison time because you don't get to go outside. Like you, there's no yard in County. Prison, oh, in you county don't go out. So, so Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. This time of year is the worst. I feel like I can't do anything and I can't enjoy my dinner because I can't taste my food and I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even feel like I can host this show because my voice sounds like a duck. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D designed for serious allergy suffering. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I feel like I've been using Claritin D for probably a few months now, and I have really noticed a difference. I can work out. I'm not feeling like my eyes are watering and my nose is all stuffed up. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. County is worse than prison because in prison you get to get like the vitamin vitamin D and get outside. So you were not out. You did not go outside at all. No, no, not unless you're being transported to for a court hearing. You were you were inside. Um, you know, there was a lot of 
you're living on top of each other. I'm sure you are in prison too, but from my experience, like you don't get to like go for walks or, you know, see the sun. Like you're just literally like locked up until you're. And what was that like Like, being with, being with other people that were in jail? It was all women. I'm assuming you were in a, I mean, they don't have co-ed prisons or jails. Um, That would be interesting. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That would not be good. I'm assuming. Um, tell me about what that, what your experience was like in jail with other, the other inmates. Yes. So, um, you know, at first I was extremely scared. Um, I didn't, I had been, I was already in there when I was arrested, but being pregnant, I didn't know how that would change the experience. Uh, so I don't know. I met, I mean, there was, it was it was eye-opening to meet women, you know, that I probably in any other situation would have thought, oh my gosh, like would have judged or felt that mm-hmm. I somehow was better than, you know, because they do drugs and look at me, I'm this like cocaine addict. I don't know what I, why I thought that way. Um, but being in there with them, I realized that we're all the same. There's no difference. You know, I made a mistake. Anybody, it doesn't matter what you look like or what drugs you use or don't use anybody could end up in jail. I met women who, you know, were heroin addicts. I met women who were sex workers. I met women who literally were in there for not paying child support or getting into a domestic dispute, assault, like all, I mean, any, anybody can be in jail. Um, and I learned to, you know, not judge others, um, through that experience, which was a huge thing for me to learn at, you know, my early twenties. Uh, but I can tell you too, there's a lot of weird things that happen <laughs> inside of jail. Um, where I was at, there was women, um, it was called toilet bowl talking. And so you sit on the toilet and you pump all the water out by bouncing on the toilet. And then you can like our jail, like you can talk to the men like through toilet. So there was women no. talking to the men through toilets and then they would find out what their cell what their cell number is or something to identify them and then ask the CO, like there was one CO, like correctional officer who like would look them up and let them see what, what they look like on their mugshot. That was a huge thing. So that was a big thing. Was there like violence, like beating people up? You must've been terrified because you were pregnant. You know, you watch Mm. these TV shows. I'm sorry because I did watch (laughs) Orange is the New Black. So I picture it like (laughs) a certain way. And I'm sure my my listeners that don't know as well, like it's on TV. So you have this like whole picture of what it's like. Did you find it like really scary or was there more? I mean, you talk a a lot about people just, you know, making mistakes. That's the thing. Our criminal system in our country and the way that people, it's almost like, yeah, people need to serve time. People need, if you make a mistake, that's part of it. But some of the sentences and also just being the classism, you know, of you just not even knowing that you should ask for a lawyer, like that just should be common knowledge for everybody. That should be something they tell you, I think, before you go, the moment you're arrested you know, when they're reading your rights, they should say you were, you know, don't, do they say anything like that? Isn't that something they say in, when they read they, your rights? They do. Um, but mm. for me, I don't, I don't remember anything. I think I was just in complete shock. But when so, they read you you your know, rights, not to talk over you. So they read you your rights. Okay. I understand why that's very, that's terrifying. That would be terrifying for any 20 something. That's a kid. <laughs> But then not to like re like give you the additional layer of getting reminded of it before they start questioning you. That's what I'm saying. So I should clarify that they don't do anything like that. Not, I mean, I don't remember it. Um, I mean, I don't know if it's across the board, but in my experience now, like I wasn't okay. like I sat down to write my statement and they're like, oh, well, make, are you sure you don't want an attorney? Like nobody said that to me they had me, they knew they had me and I was going to spill and I did. So I gave them what they wanted. It also just breaks my heart that it's like you've, I hearing your story, it's like you're calling out for help in every direction and not finding it. Like your mom let you down, your dad let you down. 
you're, you know, you're finding yourself like with a friend that you trusted and you just wanted the love there. It's like you were always seeking love, you know, and then finding yourself in this situation and then, you know, stripping like all the things that you had to do just to like get through. And, and there's so many people like you and there's so many people that cast judgments on people you know, like you, you know, me included, like not understanding what it would be like. I'm also fortunate. Like if I found myself in a situation like that, I would have had a lawyer right away. I would have, you know, so I, I'm, I'm so sorry to hear all of this, Amanda. And I think that you sharing the story is, is an inspiration to help other people. Like, yes, you made a mistake, but did you deserve what you got just hearing your story and not knowing the facts on the other side? I don't think so. And it's, I'm very, very sorry. It's awful. It it was, you know, and I, I, I appreciate that, you know, because I didn't know anything, you know, I remember when I first got arrested, I called my dad who does have the means to help me financially. And he literally told me that, I made my bed. Now I have to lay in it and hung up on me. Yeah. Which is awful. To this day. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a relationship with your dad? No, 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 no. Complete abandonment. Yeah. Also with, with your baby, the second baby. So was your first baby the whole time uh, with your ex and say, yes. Okay. Yes. He was with my ex. Um, the baby that I was pregnant with while I was incarcerated, I gave her up for adoption. So I don't have her in my physical custody. Um, and I, I, I didn't tell this part of the story, but just to make it make a little more sense when I was 19, I had a baby. So my son's actually my second child. Um, and I gave her up for adoption and my two daughters are together. So they're blood sisters. How, do you mind me asking? I know this, if you don't want to talk about it, I can change the subject, but how, how is that? That must be, have been really traumatizing for you. It was, you know, the first time when I was 19, yes, it was very traumatic. Um, it, I didn't understand it, uh, but I made that choice out of necessity for her to have a good life. Um, now with my daughter when I was incarcerated I was a little bit older I had my son uh so and I met my oldest when I had her so whenever I had her luckily I was in the work release program I wasn't shackled or anything I had visit um and you know they came the family came with my oldest and I met her and it's very hard for me to talk about but to just give you some context it was like giving my heart away. Um, It destroyed me. And three, four days after I gave her up and got home, not home, goodness, got back from the hospital, I was released from jail. Wow. Um, Do you, was it a closed adoption or do you have contact with them now? Are you allowed to have any? No. No. no contact. I get pictures here and there. I more, most recently got new, newer pictures. My oldest is actually 18 now. Um, so I'm hoping one day that she'll find me and I can meet her. So, yeah. But no, I did, no I, just, to, just to take a little side turn here, I did an episode with um, uh, of a lady named Mary and she um, her stories about adoption and she was adopted in a closed adoption and she talks a lot about uh her mother you know giving up giving her up and um just the like not knowing having any answers and trying her best to find her and it was like so traumatizing for her and then she found out she had other siblings um i i i would love if you would listen to that episode that's a little side note because i think that for anybody, and I'm sorry, I can't even imagine, I can't imagine like your story is just trauma after trauma. I don't think you deserved any of this. I'm sorry if I'm making you upset, but you know, I think you're a very brave person and I think you deserve a lot of credit for, for doing, especially sharing your story and helping others and taking a turn and doing something with your life. 
to do something to make a change. So you should be really proud of yourself, Amanda. Thank you. Some days I am. <laughs> so well, you should always, be. You should be. So so you got you you ended up giving the baby up, which was severely traumatizing. And then you ended up getting out. And then what was that what happened next? So after jail, you know, I wish I could say that was my wake up call, but I just I, I still felt alone and I was seeking that love still like we talked about earlier and I was in toxic relationships and you know I after I so I went to a three-quarter house after I got out so I had to stay sober but because I was drug tested um mm -hmm. but I would find ways to cheat the system so like I would take a weekend pass and drink on Friday so that by the time I went back on Sunday I had clean urine or um, some guy I was dating, you know, we were doing Suboxone and back then it might be different now, but back then Suboxone didn't show up on a drug test. So I could be high on Suboxone. What, what is Suboxone? What is Suboxone? Suboxone is a drug that helps people who are addicted to heroin get mm -hmm. off of heroin, but okay. it can also make you high if you abuse it. Um, and I've never done heroin. Uh, so Suboxone, when my boyfriend at the time introduced me to it, I loved it. It made me deathly ill, but uh, I don't know, it's crazy. It made me sick, but the high after being sick was worth the sick. Uh, and I don't know, I was just, I mean, I was, there's this drug called Neurotin and it's an anti-seizure medication that some people are prescribed for um, mental health disorders. I'm not, I think it's anxiety or I don't know. But if you do it a certain way or so much, you can get a buzz off of it. So I was even doing that. I was just like trying to, I just didn't want to feel like I got sick while I was in the three quarter house and I was so excited because I had this horrible cough. So I got codeine, I got liquid codeine for the cough so I could be high on that and I, nobody could say anything because I was prescribed it. Like it was just this, I felt like that was just my life. This is what I deserved. And now I'm a convicted felon. So I'm never going to amount to anything anyway. So who cares? My life is meaningless. So my son was, uh, my ex took my son from me. I didn't get custody back of him. Um, he lied, lied and had a lawyer. I didn't, again, have a good lawyer. I had nobody. Uh, and it just kept spiraling. Um, but eventually I left a relationship about six, yeah, almost six years ago now. Um, I have a daughter um, that I got to keep. Uh, she's eight. and her and my son are my everything now. Like they're my world. Uh, but it took a long time for me to really realize who I am as a person and to change. You know, this is, it was only three years ago that I, you know, had my final rock bottom and really started hurting myself. What, what was your, what was your rock bottom? And are you sober now? Like, do you? Yes. Yes. Okay. What was your rock bottom? So I had this job that I thought was everything. And when I left that relationship, it was a very toxic relationship, which bled into the breaking up part. I got married uh, and he didn't like that. So there was a lot of um, a lot of harassment going on and I was just overwhelmed. I was still drinking and you know, I was trusting all the wrong people and I was pushing my husband away. I almost destroyed my marriage because I was talking to another guy and it was just really bad. I ended up losing that job. And that moment, I was destroyed. I don't think since jail, I don't think I've ever cried so hard in my life. Like I just felt so betrayed and so just down and I thought I've just let everyone down again like I just I just keep letting everyone down and so my husband's at work the kids weren't home and I'm sitting in my closet in our apartment at the time and I'm crying and I'm just like I just need to end my life because I don't know what I'm doing like I don't know why I keep finding myself here you know over and over again uh and then something happened like in that same moment something told me no like you have to keep fighting and if this keeps happening like maybe it's time you looked at yourself and learned to love you because nothing is ever going to change if I keep trying to appease everyone else around me the lies the 
trying to keep everything even keel and keep everyone happy. Lie to this one. Then, oh, wait, I have to lie to him too. And now I'm screwed and everything blows up in my face. Uh, and instead of doing that, let's just be honest with myself and figure out who the hell am I and what do I want out of life? What are my values and what do I want to give back to this world? And so I asked for help from my husband. I said, babe, like I can't, can't do this anymore. Like, I don't know what's, what's going on. And he kind of, you know, at the time helped me and helped me figure out who I am as a person, you know, and that's where the change started. That was about three years ago now. Well, I am so, I saw, I always say this, I sound like an old lady, like, well, I am a little, I'm old, but, um, I'm really, that takes a lot of courage. I've, I, in a different way, I've openly talked about being in a, the darkest place of not wanting to go on myself. And it takes guts to pick yourself up out of that situation and say, I'm worth it. I'm going to fight. I'm never going to let somebody else's opinion define my own life and my journey on this planet. And so for you to, to be brave enough and not let your mistakes define you like you have and pick yourself up and be a mom and be a human, you, you need to understand like how proud of yourself you should be. I don't know if you ever think that way, but it, you, you have a lot of guts and you're kind of a badass PS. Like all <laughs> the stuff you've been, in, <laughs> been through, you know, I like to tell people that because I think, I think that I, like, I'm on a mission in my own life to say, I'm never defined by my past or my mistakes or things I thought, or if I was in, if I did go through trauma as a child, that will not define me in my future. I'm a mom. I'm a, I'm, I'm a human, you know, I love God. I'm doing the best I can in my life. Like we're all here for a short time. And it, you're an example of that, that you can turn yourself, your life around and nobody should ever judge anyone else. And just all the stuff, it was kind of as if you were set up like, what do people expect? You know, I mean, really, what do people expect when you have been given a hand of cards, dealt a hand of cards from a young age, you know, and then just kind of like thrown out into the world. And so I think that people really need to understand when they cast judgments on other people, that sometimes these decisions, when you're going to a strip club and you're judging some other woman you know, or you're judging somebody that's been put in jail, like you found yourself, all of these things, like we need to set these things aside. And I just want to tell you that I am blown away by your strength because it takes a lot, takes a lot to, to pull yourself out of that. It does. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a work in progress. I'm sober. I'm, you know, I'm, the, I'm in the best place I've ever been in my life. I have a loving relationship to a man who would, who I trust to not hurt me, which is, I don't trust anybody. I think he's probably the only person besides my kids that I do trust in the world at this yeah. point. Um, but you know, it takes a lot to change and, but I want people to know my whole mission and telling my story is that it is possible and that our past don't have to define our futures. I lived under that shame bubble of not wanting people to know that I'm a felon, not wanting people to know I do drugs and hiding and hiding and hiding and lying to the point where it consumed me, you know, and we don't have to live that way. We can do good things. We can, we still deserve good things because before anything else, we are human first. A hundred percent. Can you tell me like, what are some of the things you do? Because I'm sure you have a lot of people that follow you that are in the same or listen to your podcast that are in the same, find themselves in the same situation. Like wh what, what are you doing with your life? Like starting the podcast, number one, how long has that been going on? Um, it'll be a year um, next month that I've been doing the podcast. Um, and, you know, doing that has helped me a lot because when I first started it, it was a place for me to tell my story. So there's a bunch of episodes in the beginning where it's just me talking about the things that I've been through. 
And then the healing process started more when I started interviewing others and hearing these stories of other people who've been incarcerated, who suffer from addiction and all these different things and feeling like, oh my gosh, like I'm not alone. You know, because when I first started out telling my story, I still felt alone. And then all of a sudden I realized that there's so many other people who've been there who get it and have overcome it. So why can't I? You know, and it the my guests inspire me to keep going when because I have moments where I don't I don't want to do it anymore. You know, it's just I just I get down on myself, but it's it's amazing. So that was a huge step for me because I never thought I would tell my story. So <laughs> well, I mean, I love that. I mean, selfishly, I feel the same way. Like I meet people every week, like you. And you inspire me to go on. And when I'm in my dark times or stuck in my head or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. you know, meeting somebody like you, can I ask you a question? Do you have a butterfly tattoo? I do. I have, well, this is my, yeah, this is um, for uh, my grandmother who passed away. And then I have fate on my arm. I don't know if you can see it. I drew this and uh-huh. this um is what I used to cut into my arm with safety pins when I was in college. And mm-hmm. it's a reminder of how far I've come and keep going because fate ultimately leads to your destiny. I love that. I taught like I don't know if you saw <laughs> there on the cover of my podcast, I have a butterfly, a blue butterfly. Oh yeah. I did see that. And that's because that's my sign. That's my, that I know that my angels are like my best friend passed away. So I always like, I love butterflies. Everything's about butterflies for me. So I had (laughs) to point that out. Are you spiritual? I had to ask you that. I'm becoming spiritual. Uh, I wasn't always. um, Uh And I just, um, I have a friend in my life who's also my client. Um, I'm his executive assistant. Um, but he has taught, he's very much into God and spirituality and all this stuff. And he, um, he's been a huge voice for me to start looking at those things more and to stop denying it because there is, I've always believed in angels, but God mm-hmm. and higher power and all that, I kind of didn't because of what I've been through. I just thought, well, if that exists, then what the hell, you know? So well, I think like um, God is different for that. everybody, but I love that. I had to ask that mm-hmm. because I wanted to know if you believed in signs, like if you have that butterfly on your arm, if there, if there are things that you know that you're supposed to be here and you're supposed to be doing what you're doing right now. Do you have any kind of sign like that? Or is it the butterfly like mine? Uh, My signs are numbers. So I literally every day without fail from the moment we moved into this house, which is about almost two years ago, I see 1111 every single day without thinking about it. I always look at the clock at 1111 and that's my sign to keep going. So it's weird. I love that. My husband's is 11 too. You know, you have to wonder, like, life is a series of tests, you know, and you have to go, well, why, why do some people just have like the easiest tests and they don't have to go through any of the shit that, you know, you had to go through or I had to go through or, you know, and then you wonder, you almost, I don't know about you because I can't even comprehend what you've gone through in your life, just like you can't comprehend probably what I've gone through. But why we've gone through these things and then completely turned our lives around. So in some ways, it's a gift. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know if you see it that way. I, I all the shit that and excuse my language, I cuss sometimes on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, that I found myself going through. Yeah. And people go, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that or whatever it is. Well, I would not be here today, just like you wouldn't be here today doing the work, doing something that's legitimately helping somebody else that you never know might, you might be helping that could be listening to your podcast in a different country and needed to hear your message at that exact time. So I just needed to say that to you. I find you, I think there's a reason why I sometimes people come into my life. I say this a lot, specifically guests, 
I find your story one of like strength and overcoming so much. You are such a strong lady. You're also a very beautiful lady. I must tell you that if anybody watches this, watches this, please don't look at me because I am not looking so good. But Amanda is. Anyways, I wanted to say in closing, thank you so much. Keep doing the work. You're you're here because you're helping people, especially people that might be find themselves in situations like you found yourself in. And I hope and pray that you find yourself getting that pardon. And I'm so grateful that you came on. And so thank you, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. In closing. Be happy by making other people happy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.